Welcome to episode 277 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee. Join me as usual with Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Hello. And returning to the pod um, and safe from any potential ignominy that, you know, Rowan is continuing to have to deal with. <laughs> it's Ben Raman. Welcome back, Ben. How you guys doing? Good. Before we get into any of this, I want to... I want to give a special shout out to someone. Uh, a longtime podcast listener I discovered last night. Uh, his name is Kyle Lowry. And clearly he's been listening to Win at Six all year. Has been waiting, biding his time. And yeah, he had a little treat in store for us. So look, all I can say is just keep doing what you're doing. Keep keep taking all those shots. Um you know, if Kawhi just takes three shots in the fourth quarter again, I think that's a good idea, Kyle. You're doing the right thing. Anyway, that's enough of that. Unless Kyle Larry wants to come on winning six, we could do that sometime. Um, the Bucks won game one. 108 to 100 on Wednesday night. They have a lead in the conference finals. Um, Mike Budenholzer has his first ever conference finals win. Um, as does... Everyone on this team not named George Hill. I'm Pau Gasol. Um, don't forget about Pau. Sorry, sorry. Pau might have some posts for us over at Behind the Book Pass next week, the way things are going. I don't know if you've even seen that yet, Jordan. I mean, wait, what? There was a Pau Players Tribune article on Yanis today. So Pau has entered the blogosphere. Um, we'll see where that one goes. Anyway, I'm getting very much the, sidetracked. Paugosphere? And I can only apologize and yet say it probably isn't going to get better as it goes along because a lot of time has passed, but my brain is still scrambled because I don't know. This felt like the most... It, it obviously was the most important books game that I've watched. The most important books game in my time covering the site. Till Friday. <laughs> I, I actually sorry, sorry. I disagree on that one. Um, but with all of that, there is still this weird thing that I had, this weird feeling throughout watching it where it's kind of like... I don't know. This felt like the first time where I really realized, you know, just how serious all this is getting. Did either of you... Am I alone on that? This is something I really... It's kind of playing weird games with my head where I'm so used to just, just you know writing about great books things happening like 20 years ago 40 years ago and you watch game one you watch the books pull out a win when 
quite a lot of things didn't go right for them. Um, same could be said for the Raptors, but also a lot of things did go their way, and particularly Kawhi and Kyle Lowry combining for 61. That's kind of pretty good. And yet you're watching it all, and there's this sense of, this is it. This is what it's about. This is what, you know, everyone's dreamed about for quite a while. And it's still, it's kind of, it's coming along faster than I expected. I'm not saying I didn't expect it before this postseason, but we didn't head into this season expecting this. So there's a good rambling intro that really gives nothing about the game. But the both of you have that feeling of just how kind of momentous this was and that this was a little bit different because even my my nerves, the tension throughout the game, it all felt like it was amped up a level than really anything we've experienced before. The Celtic series, not to kind of paraphrase Giannis in any way here, but it was it was a breeze. It was just like another regular season thing compared to the feeling that I had once I started watching this game. Yeah, I think it... I think it really hit me when I saw the uh, TNT inside the NBA crew set up outside Pfizer Forum. That was pretty cool. And just seeing the whole city of Milwaukee in the Deer Garden, that was awesome. I, I'd never seen anything quite like that outside the Bradley Center. Um, and certainly, you know, I've, I've only been to two games so far inside the Forum. So they're both regular seasons. So I can't wait to hopefully make it to a game once I get out of school, get back home to Milwaukee. Um, but yeah, it really hit me pregame. And then as I was watching the game after we won, I see Shaq pumping up the Milwaukee crowd, starting a Milwaukee chant. That was crazy. Before his trip to the Lucid Lounge, the post-game <laughs> celebration. Which Stephen A. Yeah. attended, I heard. <laughs> oh, yeah, really? Stephen A. was there. Stephen A. was uh, there. Yeah, I know. I should have made my trip. Yep. I don't know how it would have made it happen. But hey, I should have it's made a, the long, trip. It's a was, long series. There's plenty of time. That was the opportunity. Stephen A. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, my new, my only recently, my hero. Do you think Charles Barkley did, did it? You, I assume you both saw that whole thing and that story as well. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is just really strange and surreal. That's basically where I'm going with this. Barkley telling that story outside, you know. The one stately arena. Listen, you couldn't hold a gathering like the books can now hold outside of you know that ancient burial ground. Yep. It's it's just it's ridiculous. It's you know, we've gotta we've gotta hold Herb Cole accountable for for the Bradley Center. (laughs) (laughs) It's reaching that point. Um but no, to get to the game itself in in all seriousness, because this is a very serious podcast. Um, oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, I'll introduce this. I'll give a little bit of background to my experience watching this game. Jordan will already have a sense of this. Um, basically, I couldn't really afford to watch this game because I've got a lot of stuff going on, a lot of work to do. And I was like, Jordan, I've wrestled with this decision all day. I can't watch live. I've got to watch it the next morning. I can't do it. It's too late. That extra half hour, it just makes it too late for me. Game finishing at 4 a.m. Then, you know, what I eventually got to experience, the kind of adrenaline of the game keeping me awake long beyond that, it's not an option. So with the best of attentions, I had my phone completely switched off, went to sleep, tried to anyway. And then, you know, it wasn't happening, so I got a little bit twitchy. I was like, let me just just see what the score is. 
Let me just let me just see what the score is. At the time, the Raptors were up 24-13 or something like that. Does that sound right? Late first quarter? Yep. I was like, okay, that's not good. Let's, let's roll back over here and pretend I didn't see that. That's not good. So then get to sleep. A few minutes later, I'll check again and be like, you know what? I can watch, I can watch until halftime. I can watch until halftime. And I watched it until halftime and then I never stopped. And I've watched the game again since. So I've really kind of basked in this game. But the way it started was kind of weird because the first couple of possessions, the books actually look great. And Yana's got things you'd want him to get going. You're like, oh, good. We're not going to have any issues with kind of dealing with the rust or any kind of sluggishness, which they can be prone to, to start series, to start games even more generally. Everything's going to be fine. And then the Raptors just started to make every shot they even considered taking. Did, for both of you, this kind of, you know, they're always coming. The books are always going to come back. They're always going to go and turn this one around. Did that hold up for both of you? Or as early as the first quarter, maybe particularly with the stakes of the game and the different feeling, as I've already alluded to, did you get a sense of, yeah, I don't like this. This isn't great. Did your confidence waver at any point in this game? Um, I would say really... I'll be I'll be impressed. You're about to say not really. I was going to say I will be very impressed if it didn't because... I was a little worried early on when they were... It, it felt like nerves to me, honestly, in the first half even when they, were, they just kept missing threes long, it seemed like, like every time they put them up. And... I looked at the shot variance, how utterly terrible the Bucks were shooting from three. I figured, come on, there's got to be some positive regression here, please. And, uh, you know, eventually there was a little bit. Um, Just a little bit. The Bucks still <laughs> ended up shooting, what, 25% from three for the game? 25%, right, yeah. They kept it within – they were within single digits for quite a good portion of the game. It got out of hand a little bit. In the first half, but you know, with the Bucks, it's just you always feel like they can keep coming, and especially like you had spurts like that little Eric Bledsoe spurts kind of in the middle of the game, and then Brooks started to turn it on a bit after kind of a sluggish start. And I kind of, you know, Giannis wasn't having the best game, so I kind of didn't really feel all that. I mean, I was stressed, obviously, but I didn't think that it was out of reach at any point. <laughs> Ah, uh, okay. You wavered. Come on, I wavered. Oh, yeah, I'm already. as oh, bullish well, as it gets. <laughs> well, I was, my thinking was, okay, you know, at halftime, they're down by eight. Literally everything that could go wrong went away from them. Raptors were starting to shoot or cool off at that point. And then I'm just thinking like, you know, hit a couple threes, you know, like Ben said, have someone get going. Bledsoe hadn't even scored in the first half, so you're kind of thinking like, okay, if you just get a couple here from all that, you'll you'll be good to go. And so then you see that right away the, the second half, and I'm just like, okay, third quarter bucks, it's coming. This is it. And then I think Toronto had like a 10-0 run right as the Bucks made it like a one-point game. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like that was mm, – that felt like the breakthrough. And then third quarter comes, and they – they almost make it a four-point game, and then that Siakam three out of nowhere, like just like pushing up the ball with really no one kind of 
giving him any kind of, I, I guess, or there was a, like a big runway for him just to like throw it up and then hit the shot. There was. He still had Giannis, so his arm fully extended in front of him, though. Like I was just kind of like, yeah. I you, it was a little bit half-hearted as a closeout, but you know, understandably, you don't want to foul. That's yeah, the last it's, thing it's you want to do. The end of the last play of the quarter. So I was thinking, like, um, okay, like that's where I'm starting to get a little nervous. And then, of course, they break through. But even then, like th- they have like that little five-point edge, and then Raptors call a timeout. Obviously, I believe the Bucks had three straight turnovers right after that, and then Toronto, or it could have been the. That's in this spell. The most notable turnover of that spell was obviously the Middleton one, was it? Where the Larry Middleton one, but picked him off. George Hill was like. He was trying to like do like a two man game with Brogdon and his pass like went slipped through Brogdon's fingers and that came into like an easy kind of, uh, I think it was Siakam or one of Siakam or Lowry or something like that. But that I was like, hmm, that's not <laughs> that's obviously not good. So I was like, I'm like getting like, I started noticing how amped up I was when I was crouching in front of it. No, I was not doing that. <laughs> crouching in front of the TV, just like my. Yeah. Well, I was also tweeting, so I couldn't physically do that <laughs> i mean you can crouch and tweet i don't think it's don't think it's beyond crouch the realm tweet. of possibility crouching tiger tweeting dragon I mean, there there may still be time for you to crouch and tweet in the in the games ahead um <laughs> i think you hit the two moments on the headband that for me i was like okay i really feel different about this game because i was so pumped up and it was the bledsoe run where he goes two layups and it was when Brooke hit the two trees. And even when he missed the third one, it was like, it doesn't matter he missed it. Just that this is the point yeah. it's at where, you know, Brooke looks as confident as can be. And he's getting open looks at those daggers. The books are getting what they want. Um, but it's it was just the way then the Raptors continued to hang around. Like, I've made a lot of fun of the Raptors. They are a good team, though. They may be frauds in the context of the conference finals. In the context of competing with the books, um, but they're a good team. They are not what the books have played so far, and that's not to say the Celtics are like bad either. Um, the books are really, really good. Is again the thing to take from this game. It's you know for playing a good team, a good team that had their two best players, or at least two of their three best players really do close to everything you'd want them to do. I mean, Kawhi wasn't as efficient as you'd like, but I think they kind of have themselves to blame for that. We'll talk a bit about it later. Um, but in that scenario, you're like, when they just keep coming, it's different. And that that was the difference between them and other teams is the one run the books would have to break out to kill another game off, the Raptors wouldn't roll over with that. It was like watching the books. The books wouldn't roll over with that because, you know, they have a bit of resolve. They're a good team. They trust in what they do. And the one that for me, I was just kind of going, this is getting, this is getting ridiculous was when Larry beat the buzzer on the shot clock for a tree just after the books had gone up by tree. I want to say Middleton, Middleton might hit a triple before. No, it was over on the wing. It was, no, the C- you're thinking of the Siakam one, Jordan. That one oh yeah, back. <laughs> yeah. No, it was the Lowry one got me one because it was Lowry, and he just kept doing it. I'm like, would you just stop doing it? Um, as I mentioned to Ben before we started recording, I was there. I was kind of watching the game, laughing. You know, I just as laughing. I was like, this is funny. You know that he's he's decided to bring this out. You, this world 
you have cruel ways that after everything I've said, Kyle Lowry is doing this in this particular game. And then at a certain point, it just stopped being funny. And I was like, okay, can this really stop now? This is absurd. But that was one, and he, he hit another couple, I think, from 10 in. Um, but you just kind of feel like, oh, they just have another kick in them. They're going to keep going. Um, let's get into some of the individuals and I guess some more of the key moments of the game. Uh, look, there's nowhere else we could possibly start other than Brook Lopez. Um, I wrote about this already today, and uh, part of the reason I wrote about it was, again, kind of talking with the stuff that we we started the the episode with this idea that you know this is just different this is this is the kind of thing that people are going to be talking about for years to come that it could be 10 15 20 years from now hopefully it's not the only thing for the next 20 years and there's not another situation like that but people will remember brooke lopez winning game one with the most ridiculous performance on both ends of the floor as is all of the crazy things he did like that's that's a performance that has earned him beyond the permanent goodwill in Milwaukee forever. And it's it's when you start to think about that and you start to realize what you're seeing, how it's happening. And I don't know, maybe I have a kind of different context for this. Jordan, you might get some of it too. Like we've done, at least the last three years, we've done Books History Month and we dig through Books History and you're going back and you're looking at old games, old box scores, conference finals. And you're seeing, okay, this guy did what? Oh, that's interesting. Like, Brooke had one of those games last night. And particularly considering the way his playoffs have been going and the way the Celtics series had gone for him to come up like that was incredible. Um, and also very, very bad news for the Raptors, I would say. I don't expect Brooke Lopez to do that again. But everything he did on both ends of the floor to me is just dreadful news for the Raptors that he's able to be that effective defensively in the paint and that the books were just able to really shut them down as much as any team can be shut down at this level. And um, they shot 44% from inside eight feet, which is not good, really not good. And particularly when you've got guys like Marcus who should be able to get some points down there, but then guys like Siakam who, you know, driving, getting to the rim and scoring there is key. And um, Kawhi, you would expect to be efficient once he gets within eight feet. That was one part of it, but also on the other end, like we did this and understandably because of the way the second round series went, but all of the talk about, you know, how the books defend and how Brooke works out with Marcus all there will dropping work. Um, Marcus all has a major Brooke Lopez problem. <laughs> like this is, this wasn't as good shooting game. And in many ways, I think the interesting part of this is that worked to the books advantage if Brooke was shooting as well as he can do, if he was shooting like he did in the fourth quarter from the off, um, all those offensive rebounds aren't there for him because he's not inside kind of looking for scraps around the rim. Part of that was coming, you know, he'd go in with a drive. He had a lot of drives, some particularly adventurous ones, and then he'd managed to follow it up. But aside from his just absolute brilliance, his defensive work, his blocks... Just his his ability to come over and offer some help, or at least really just put himself in the eye line. If it's Kawhi and it's something the books did great, and we kind of talked about on the preview, the need to show help and the need to just not give him space. I thought Brooke was maybe one of the best at that. If Kawhi's getting anywhere near the paint. He's going to know Brooke is right there. And 
the Raptors are going to have some real adjustments to make, but I think first and foremost on both ends is how do we figure out Brooke Lopez? And can we figure out Brooke Lopez? Body in agreement? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just striking the difference between what we see from him in a series against Toronto versus what we saw versus the Celtics. Like just the difference in personnel that the Raptors have that Brooke can kind of take advantage of that a bit more with Marcus Saul playing on him instead of a guy like Al Horford. I just, it's crazy to me. And also the tr- the, the scheme that the Bucks ran defensively differed obviously from the Boston series. They went back to kind of their more traditional drop coverage and that helped so much with Kawhi and even Siakam when he drove to the paint, like Brooke was right there all the time contesting every shot. I, I wonder how many like actual shot contests he had let, or last night because he seemed to be there almost every time, even if he wasn't getting a block. I think he had four blocks last night. So, yeah, I you have to figure out how to stop him or bring him out at least maybe and spread him to the perimeter more if you're Toronto, but I don't know how you do that if the Bucks are playing that scheme and just kind of leaving Gasol out at the three-point line because – they did that a number of times last night, and he made them pay a couple times, but most of the time he either passed up a good look or clanked it off the rim. So I'm really not sure how you begin to solve the problems that you have for Lopez. Yeah, Gasol had those two early threes, but other than that, I mean, when he, he started... didn't have another field goal. I mean, I think that's the best place to start. No. He didn't score inside the arc at all. Um, he didn't get when the free started, throw line. His only points came from beyond the arc. That is he, just disaster. You can't play that game. He was two yeah. for seven from three, I think. Yep. When he started going inside the arc, there. I'm trying to. Who cares when it happened? But there, like, there was a point where he he like attempted like a a, a jumper, not necessarily in the paint. He had like one foot in the paint, but like it was just like mid range shot. I'm like, okay, this is done because you could just see like. Every shot that he attempted from that on, it was or from that point on, it wasn't even close to even going in. It was just it, it set off his rhythm, and so from that perspective of what we were talking about with like Toronto's you know willing shooters, because that was, I mean, for me, the biggest question is that okay, you have Lowry, you know, gunning whenever he wants, um, pulling up and you know doing his he you know loves doing transition threes and all that stuff. I know Zach Lowe uh, talked about that and some preview i whatever <laughs> but I when you kind of see chris herring pod the episode of yeah Lopez that's thing. it yeah um but when you started seeing like gasol like started doing that and then have that fade away it's like okay this is you have that checked off your list in terms of like how brooke lopez can fit in this and then eventually defensively i mean i we could talk about like offensively just like the fact that he has this disastrous start from three everybody's kind of wondering like okay he's you know over how many it was over 12 maybe over 13 over the last two games that he just starts to literally just starts punishing inside with these crazy herky slow moving drives the spin and the spin on finish he had was incredible the reverse was i mean like, he had some really insane. he had some really really ugly drives like oh, where yeah. he's where he's tossing up one-legged floaters from awful angles but the one he actually finished, you're just like, wow. Um, 
I, I found all that kind of interesting, just as a side note. The way, and look, I know who the broadcast crew were and the people involved, but the way that the idea of Brook doing non-three-point shooting stuff just seemed to shock them and surprise them. Like, have we now reached a point where people have forgotten like who Brook Lopez was, how skilled he was as an interior big and the kind of things he can do? It's like, this to me was, this was the game where he put it all together. And that was the thing. But it, it feels like we've always flipped so far in the opposite direction now that even the Raptors were kind of willing to let him go in there and do stuff where he might be top five among centers offensively around the basket in the paint. You know, he is as skilled there as anyone. People probably just forget about it a little bit now because they have something much bigger to worry about with him. Yeah, no, I think yeah, the national. I... Go ahead, Jordan. Go ahead. Well, I just, I was going to say, like, you just started seeing, like, the drives happen, and it wasn't even just that. Like, he's rolling pretty uncontested to the basket, and no one, like, you saw, like, the Toronto size and, like, their swarming defending early on with, like, you know, Siakam, it was kind of a wash at the end of the game, but he had a great start, obviously, on both ends of the floor, and you kind of just see, like, oh, like, this is how the Raptors can really be a problem where if they're all in sync, like I know everybody was talking about it at halftime, like team defending all that stuff that they were, you know, pretty stellar in the first half. But then as it like came across, like they had like the size and all that, but there was just something like, I don't know like how to like describe it, but like Brooke just like set that all like a fire on fire. Like he just didn't like it. That had no problem doing any of what he was doing and then eventually obviously the the fourth quarter outburst happened but like that was yeah that was the thing that was kind of like striking to me is that you see like Giannis was obviously having a problem after his kind of you know dream start and Middleton was certainly kind of flustered in terms of how they were defending all the doubles that came his way kind of like near the baseline but for Brooke I mean he's guys got seven feet he's literally a mountain of a man (laughs) he's like has no problem yeah, I think it's interesting. Like I've read a lot of national people talk about Brook Lopez and they all seem to think he just sits beyond the three-point line all the time and just that's all the books utilize him for. He's now talked about like he's Dwayne Dedman is the kind of thing rather right. than being Brook Lopez with the ability Corver. to space the floor as well. And that might be, I'm not sure if that's the national perspective on Bud as a head coach just because what they saw in Atlanta him do with the bigs, but like – it seems like every time I read a national writer, they or national, you know, guy on Twitter, they seem like they just think that he just sits out there and they really have no idea that he like if you watch Bucks games all year, you know that Brooke can get inside the arc and can, you know, do those slow motion drives that we've all become accustomed to. And if you're the Raptors game planning the Bucks for game one, like you have so many other things to worry about between Giannis, you just saw Middleton torch the Celtics. You have Bledsoe. You even have Malcolm Brogdon coming back now. Like you're not re- really planning on Brook Lopez, you know, putting the ball on the floor and driving into the lane. So I think that just caught everyone off guard from a national uh, media and even from Toronto's perspective. I think the most surprising part was like it was something that uh, we flagged up in the Boston series or prior to the Boston series as if they were going to put smaller guys on him and if they were going to try and make things comfortable, he, the, the books need to go to that. And they didn't really, and he didn't, and they didn't get anything out of that. And all of that considered to then get to this point and you say, okay, I'm going to go. 
Um, not to not to keep mentioning an article I've written today, although I did write an article today. You can read it if you like. Um, what I drew attention to and what this game reminded me of was, I'm sure you both remember the first loss to the Suns this season when he was 0-12 from deep. Mm-hmm. And then very next game, he comes back. They designed the first play for him against the Spurs, and he knocks down a tree. It's like that's kind of that's putting the building blocks in place for this game, where his confidence is just he's completely unflappable. He does get frustrated. He even admitted that uh, post game last night, and you can always see that. Oh yeah, I mean the catharsis after he hit his first three in the second quarter. I believe he drew. Uh threw down an f-bomb oh yeah uh, yeah at least one he said quite yeah. a lot of stuff there there's so much that i couldn't even <laughs> hazard a guess at what exactly he said uh but he never hesitates he said fred van vliet <laughs> that was he, his F-bomb. <laughs> he, he never ever hesitates brooke will keep shooting and i don't want to be too contrarian i i think the raptors first half defense was overrated because I think a big part of the Raptors' first-half defense was the Bucks doing the defending for them. Um, what I mean by that was, um, Yana's particularly guilty of this, just not taking shots. Middleton, I, I want to I talk about Middleton a bit later. But when we look at Middleton's line, and obviously he only scored 11 points, he was 1 of 6 from deep, 4 of 12 from the field. Middleton had three three-point looks that he had to take in the first half that were just atrocious. And it was because teammates wouldn't take wide open shots. And then they threw the ball to him to take something really heavily contested with the shot clock winding down. And someone did talk about it after the game. It might actually have been, it might've been Giannis that said, um, Brooke got on him about it, but and Bud got on him about it, but he, they've just got to take those shots to keep things flowing. And there was more of that in the second half of just guys taking the shots that came their way even Miritich, Miritich had a couple of one Danny Green. He did a pretty solid job, but I think Miritich would still have been better taking the shot. And instead, he kind of tried to sidestep out of it, and he actually missed the rim completely. He was wide left on his on a shot attempt. That's a big thing when the books get into that kind of mode. That's where things get problematic, and I think that did the Raptors a lot of favors because the books were. I don't want to say it's just the books were missing their shots because obviously the no. opponent plays a part in making those shots more difficult, but there were multiple occasions. And I mean enough occasions that, I mean, the books could have been level. The books could have been ahead if they dealt with them in the way that they normally would, where they were their own worst enemy. And for everything, they had 51 first half points. You know, they were right where they needed to be in spite of all of that. So, look, I think the Raptors did a good job. They did kind of what you'd want them to. But when I look back at the game overall, there was absolutely nothing about the Raptors defensively that gives me any any pause about what the Bucs can do in this series. And on any player, I also think Giannis's game was a bit better than it's being given credit for. Yeah. I don't I don't think he really struggled and it's been painted as that. He had 24, 14 and 6. Uh, he was 7 of 16 from the field, so you're talking just below 50%. I think he could do it being more aggressive and guess what? He will be. That's We that's saw him insane. learn and feel his way into the last series. His starting point for this one is just astronomically better. 
Like he, he. I feel like he's gonna have some really big games in this series because they they don't have an answer. Um, Kawhi a couple of times where Kawhi got on him, and this was something. There was actually a couple of nice clips in the article Zach Lowe wrote about the series where he showed that you know Giannis when he does decide to, he can just out muscle Kawhi and get to where he wants in a way that not many guys can. There were a couple of instances where he did that, and otherwise, like Siakam is not doing anything. Someone, I don't know, was it Reggie Miller or Chris Webber, but someone on the broadcast made the point early on that, you know, you think of Giannis and Siakam being the same size and then you see them standing together. And it's just just no comparison in every way. And I would say I've been probably guilty of that in imagining this series and imagining how the matchup might play out. I see Siakam against another team and you go, oh, he's, he's really started to fill out. He's big, he's tall, he's long. It's very much kind of like for like with Giannis and then they stand together and you're like oh no he's a lot smaller really you know (laughs) he has probably slight disadvantages in all of those areas which in the whole then kind of amount to something bigger where will we go next Um, let's go to Brogdon Brogdon looks as good as he's looked all season. <laughs> I, I mean, there's just not even like any kind of beat missed here. He looked great when he came back against the Celtics. Um, played 27 minutes in this one. So as much as any bench player, um, more than Miritich, um, only three minutes less than Bledsoe. So we, I'm sure we'll talk, we'll, we'll probably talk about it now, about what that likely means going forward and what seems to be pretty much inevitable um but his shooting was great um he was three of six from deep five nine from the field he had 15 points three assists three rebounds just one turnover plus 18 did have four fouls but with the exception of two that he got in quick succession um they weren't cheap fouls and i actually thought he did a good job against Kawhi. um he did literally everything you could ask him to considering the way that matchup works against him and at this point, there is real evidence to suggest, yeah, you know, the books can be kind of fine with having Brogdon on Kawhi. So this is kind of a big deal. It's, again, when you're getting all the pieces together and we're seeing a Brook Lopez game like that and talking about how people don't expect it, if Brogdon is back and he is playing at this level right away, I mean, it's obviously a major deal in this series, but it gives the books a great chance of advancing, and then it could be a major deal beyond that too. I know, and we heard all about how this particular injury, it can be easier to come back looking dramatically better because the discomfort you've been dealing with is gone. The tear relieves some of that pressure. But this is better than I was expecting from Brogdon at this point. A lot better. Yeah, in that first half, I mean, the Bucks were missing pretty much everything they put up, it felt like, and Brogdon was really the only one who was making any of his shots, it seemed like, from beyond the arc. And I was just thinking to myself, like, you've got all these guys who just played a series against the Celtics. They look like they're, they've had all this rest, and they look like their legs are dead, and the guy who's just come back from injury looks like he's the most fresh and rested that he ever could be. And I guess that could be right since he's feeling no pain anymore, but it just is kind of wild to me that he was the one who was had the best 
looking jumper of anyone. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they finished 11 for 44. And then I think at some point, I think after the third quarter, they were like 6 of 33, and Brogdon had three of those threes. <laughs> he was literally like carrying like what was an already awful shooting night. Uh, and he was carrying that with, you know, uh, on his shoulders. But even even that, like, it wasn't just, you know, the fact that he's hitting threes. His driving was really good. Like, he just, like, I have to say, he looked like himself. And obviously, he had a tough tough time guarding Kawhi Leonard, which is to be expected. He's Kawhi Leonard. But still, like, I, I do agree that some of those fouls, yeah, you know. There was the one where was... Kawhi just got in front of him. Brooke was still there. And he just took a – there was no logic to it. And maybe the most jarring thing is you're just like – yeah, it was it was he got yeah. caught up on the screen, but Brooke was like right there. There wasn't even a whole lot of distance between him and Kawhi. And he was Brooke was enough in the way that Brogdon could even have had a half a chance to recover. You know, and and then you're in a spot where Kawhi is seeing two bodies again. That's ideally what you're looking to do every time he gets there. And he just reaches out and takes a foul at a time where the books were building momentum too. And you're like, like the one thing about that was I was like that's a really, really dumb foul. And that's what you don't expect from him. Like we expect high IQ plays and that was kind of uncharacteristic. But other than that, I mean, I, I thought he did well. And even physically, um, there was a couple of times where Kawhi kind of had him over on the baseline on the right side and Brogdon would just stand his ground and Kawhi's shots would come up short. And there's a lot of encouragement there, I think, to be had. And particularly as Brogdon is likely only going to continue playing more. Yeah, it's not so much about like we can talk about Brogdon and just like how great he looks, and you know, it, it looks like he had was even hurt. I mean, like that's the best compliment that you can make. That like he looks exactly like how he was before his injury, all that stuff. But the fact that he's not only like standing out like individually, but the lineup, the starting lineup that I mean, before he got hurt, that was you know obviously the uh, since game one what the the Bucks were going rolling with. Like he's even like that's so cohesive right now. Like that was that was what really separated the game. It was a one hundred seven point three net rating last night in four minutes. Like, and you that's... you just want to see that lineup all the time. Now that it's an option again, like as the game's unfolding, you're like, okay, can we just get that group back together there? Um, yeah. What, like Miritich, we'll probably talk about a little bit more in a while, but he stands out when he's in there. Even someone like George Hill, who has obviously played great. When you're seeing what was, Brogdon's doing and you've got the combinations, you're just like, okay, can we just get Brogdon in with that group, though, and get those five together? Uh, like, Brogdon did lead the game in net rating, 38 net rating, an offensive rating of 122.2, a defensive rating of 84.2, um, which that's that's the most impressive element of it. Um, both of those marks, obviously, not just team highs, clear team highs. The second highest offensive rating on the books was Middleton's 106.6. So the offense just went through the roof and broke them on the floor. And I think the driving is a key part of that. As you mentioned, his driving looked great too. And it was really just everything was there for him. And there was also a couple of times, even when it wasn't the starting lineup, where the books would all of a sudden have three or four ball handlers. And we've talked about this a bit too. Mm-hmm. and the Raptors just don't know what to do with it and that's a big part of Brogdon coming back as well is it kind of just rubs in Toronto's face the whole depth disparity in this series like it, it must be pretty demoralizing to be like oh there's Malcolm Brogdon and look what he's doing when 
they're desperately hoping for anything from Norman Powell and Fred Van Vliet and not really getting it. I mean, they got about as much as they can probably expect to get out of Norman Powell. Um, I don't know. Like Van Vliet scored two points and two assists, one of four minus 10. They're, I don't, I don't know if I'm expecting play. more from Van Vliet in this series, though. I don't know how playable he really is or how realistic it is that he's going to make meaningful impacts across multiple games. Yeah, Toronto's bench played 40-something minutes total between Van Vliet, Abaka, Exactly, exactly 40 minutes. Norman Powell. Like, that's that's where, like, that was obviously a big talking point going into the series that, you know, what, what people view Toronto's depth to be is far from it. I mean, they're talking about last year's team, not this year's team in that way. I mean, this is what happens when, look, they, they wouldn't have Kawhi, they wouldn't have Marcus all if they didn't do these things. But when you get rid of Jakob Pertl, you get rid of uh, Dylan Wright, right. this is what you end up with. You're like, oh, good point guard. Good. Dylan Wright would be very useful for them right now. In a DJ Miles, even though he was kind of up and down. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and Anobi obviously factors into that too. And there were some mm-hmm. more details over just how kind of serious and how how wrong a lot of the, the surgery went right around it happening for his appendectomy. So I, I'm i not sure if there was any clear timeline, but it wouldn't be all that surprising if he doesn't play in this series. Um, they're just really hard-pressed. Now, maybe this is a good point. We'll, we'll come back to the books and some other guys, but just to talk some Raptors. Um, he didn't play well, and he was a minus 17. I still think it's a major, major problem. And, a pretty bad decision from Nick Nurse to only play Sergi Baca 17 minutes when that's your bench and to play Marcus all 40 minutes with what you were getting out of him. I I can't begin to understand the logic in that. I mean, I don't think there is any. To me, the best version of the Raptors in this series is going to have Serge at the five. I mean, Marcus all is a really good player. I'm not saying you're not going to have good minutes with him on the floor. I think they need... Ibaka's just slightly increased the willingness to do stuff offensively, to take a shot. Um, and also defensively, I, I don't think there's a lot here for Gasol. Gasol had a pretty good defensive game. And I, I'm just again looking at it being like, he didn't really do enough. He was pretty good. And it's only going to get worse from, from here because Giannis, for example, is going to make the reads and he's going to continue to get better and better at attacking him. I I can't really get my head around what Nurse is doing. And beyond that, I mean, you've just played a game seven a couple of days ago. You're playing a team that's really well rested. Um, you're on the road anyway. So, you know, if there is a time to maybe lean a little bit more into your depth and if it goes wrong, you pull the plug and go, okay, we've got to go back to that. Uh, I think this might be the game because what what he did. I mean, even Danny Green, who was not good, and he's clearly not very high on right now, played 35 minutes. Everyone else played at least 40 in the starting lineup. We know a thing or two about this. We've had this experience in the past. Um, what are you playing? <laughs> it wasn't quite as dramatic, right? But there was a touch of um, the failed game six comeback against the Raptors two years ago. You remember how Giannis was late in that game when he was playing? It's a crazy minutes total. 
there was a touch of that about how Kawhi looked down the stretch. And it's like, what did you get for the extra three minutes you played him as opposed to what you might have got if you'd sat him and given him a little bit of rest, a chance to catch his breath and come in and make an impact? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining. Kyle Lowry, you can tell Coach Nick Nurse to keep doing this. Um, I just don't. I don't get it. It makes it makes no sense to me. Eight-man rotations don't make sense to me. I'm maybe on the other extreme of this. I could talk about depth all day. I have done it for weeks now. But You're out of your depth. All right. <laughs> Nick Nurse sure is. Um, I, don't, I don't get what they're doing, but... Then again, I'm not sure exactly what he's going to look to do to tweak that, if anything at all. They're, they're at a deficit compared to the Celtics here, right, in terms of adjustment options. I think that's an interesting thing. When we go yeah. to what they're going to do game two, um, Celtics' depth isn't quite what it could be. Someone like Gordon Hayward being a shell of himself doesn't help with that. But the Raptors would kill for a Gordon Hayward, you know? It's whatever combinations. The Raptors don't have a Marcus Smart appearing suddenly. I guess maybe Ananobi could, could be like that if, if he did come back. But they're looking at a situation where it's like, what are the different looks you can throw out here? They don't have a Bane that you can be like, it's not working. Let's try it. It is, it isn't. Whatever it might be. I'm not entirely sure what he's going to do personnel-wise, what he can do to really kind of turn the screw and try to reset this series going into game two. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, the one thing, you know, you talked about Serge Ibaka, and I'm looking at his, he had a pretty bad game himself in his 17 minutes. That could have been why Nurse decided to play Gasol so long. I mean, Serge Ibaka had a minus 52.3 net rating, which was mm-hmm. by far the summative. They got killed a, on the glass, um, was yeah. the thing that happened when he was out there. But they're not a good rebounding team, full stop. Like, I I don't understand why they're that bad. They shouldn't be. Particularly, the Bucks are a good rebounding team, but physically there's not massive differences here. They should be able to do oh. what, what the Bucks do. Um, so that doesn't make any sense. But you've got to just kind of put up with that and fight through it. Like, I think you've got to consider toying around with that and saying, okay, are we going to give up something on the boards or find something somewhere else? Because they're going to get pummeled on the boards for however many games the series goes. I I don't know. I, I also don't... Do either of you have any understanding of why Ibaka on the glass is that bad? Particularly when you've still got, say, Kawhi and Siakam. I mean, you're not talking about guys who shouldn't be able to go and get a board. What is the issue with them basically deciding, okay, one of us boxes out, the other goes gets the rebound? You know, not complicated. Literally one of the most basic elements of basketball. It's what the book's rebounding success is based on. Pretty weird. I'm I'm not entirely sure why they're not bad when Serge is on the floor and why, why that can't be corrected in-game. And the fact it wasn't, and it kept happening. I mean, it happened over... A lengthy period of time. Uh, offensive rebounds were big for the books early, and yet they were still kind of a key difference maker down the stretch. I don't know what they're going to do there. Even, and this is maybe pushing it too far, but you look at what they've got, and they've just come through the series with the Sixers, 
where the Sixers had to turn to Greg Monroe for some minutes because they just needed a big body. Uh, <laughs> the Raptors, who had Greg Monroe earlier in the season, could kind of do a Greg Monroe right now. You know, just some sort of physical presence in there, some kind of different look. It's all pretty weird to me. They did, was it for Jeremy Lin they waved Monroe? Is that right? I think so. I think they actually traded Monroe. I could be wrong, but there was some... To they the might have Sixers? traded him. I No, I don't think it was to the Sixers, but then... I don't know. Oh, I, got... I could be totally wrong here. Doesn't sound familiar. Well, let's see. You're 100% right. He was traded to the Nets, who then waved him. Um, Moose, our departed Moose. <laughs> but what, no, I, I think. Hope, what was this deal? They get <laughs> the Nets got Greg Monroe on a 2021 second round pick in exchange for cash considerations. Hmm. That would suggest it was to get them under the tax, but Moose was on the minimum. Do they only have a 14-man roster now? Well, they have like 10. Oh, they might have only 14. So I guess they had to dump him with a pick to get under the tax, which uh, not a great look then in a conference finals. You're like, God, we could really use some rebounding, but at least we're not paying the tax. Yeah, Kawhi, come back next year. Um, <laughs> weird, weird. Anyway, we don't need to get sidetracked on that Greg Monroe trade from months ago. Um, but I think, just to cut across, I think if you're kind of in Toronto's point of view with all this, and if you're kind of looking at it from an optimistic point, you're kind of thinking, like, okay, like literally everything went wrong. You collapsed in the fourth quarter. You were still right there, you know, save for the last two, three minutes of the game. I think that's what's worrying is that you're kind of looking at those last three minutes. You're like, oh, we're still right there. And then, you know, like you said, like, depth is a problem. They can't – they have an eight-man rotation, and even that, like, is service – or kind of uh, being generous to what Van Vliet and Norman Powell are doing. And obviously, Serge Ibaka had a – you know, from that point of view, had a terrible game. Like, if you're Nick Nurse, you're not – I don't know if you go into game two thinking, like, okay, we're going to – do do a Marcus Morris like uh, uh, substitution? You're saying he kind of has to bet on. Let's do the same thing. We're right there, and we might win. Yeah, like I, I don't know unless if you're going to go super sized uh, lineup and maybe force. I mean, who do you force out of the lineup? Then? Danny Green. It's Danny easy. Green? Danny Green. You bring a buck in. You play Kawhi to two, and you just give the books a weird look. I mean. The books can adjust to that. You know what? It would actually probably suit the books' current starting lineup a lot better. I was just about to say, like that. That's that's where the kind of segue into Miritis' struggles. I think that's where you're going to be like, oh, okay, we'll have more breathing room. You're not going to close out as as crazy as you can, as we saw in the first half, and you know, kind of flummox our shooters like that. Like, bring it on. Like, that's <laughs> we'll do that then. Yeah, I think and then that's... you still and then you still have Brogdon literally as a reserve to come in and basically you're taking Brogdon against Fred Van Vliet in terms of looking for contribution and the Bucks are going to take that you know 100 times out of 100. So that's a, that's a big win. Um, but just before we move off the Raptors, um, I, I guess this is kind of also moving off the Raptors because it will tie in very closely to Middleton. Um, the defense on Kawhi generally. 
I was really, really impressed. Really, really impressed. Um, it's a pretty thankless job. Middleton, I thought, did a really, really great work and just basically fighting through screens and always being there. Always being there so that Kawhi would kind of feel physical contact every time. He would have to kind of try and body his way through to get any space to do anything. And then we mentioned with Brooke earlier, but Brooke, Brooke wasn't alone. Um, Giannis was doing the same. Really, anyone in the vicinity, they were sending help whenever Kawhi would look to try and kind of move off towards the baseline either side, move off towards either wing. He would be greeted by a second body. And I'm trying to think of occasions when the books were caught out on that, where they were caught out over helping and the Raptors moved the ball and got open shots. Maybe the only one is that Larry shot clock beating tree that I can think of kind of ball swinging around, players moving around that ends up with an open look. Like if that's one in the entire game, you kind of take that one. Um, again, I'm I'm not entirely sure what the strategy is for that. I mean, I think for the most part, it's going to have to be, look, Kawhi play better and he can play better and he probably will. But we talked about mm. it in the preview forcing him into certain situations where you know he just can't create a whole lot for everyone else out of that at the level you would like him to where the obvious thing is okay if they're showing help i've got to make the kind of incisive pass the kind of incisive pass Giannis made to brogdon in the corner early on um for the three i don't buddy remember that pass really really incredible corner right yeah he also had another one in the second half i can't remember who it was to might have been miritich it was one of the fastest passes I've ever seen. It was just like, I almost didn't realize the ball had left his hands and the ball was in the corner. It was bizarre. But Kawhi doesn't have that. Or if he does, he certainly doesn't look for it. He's looking towards the basket. So I think that's another interesting one. But it's one area where I think Middleton did quite well. Middleton was a plus 10. Like, when your primary assignment is Kawhi, um and i would be curious like don't think he probably spent a whole lot of time in the court or Kawhi wasn't there i mean no one did because Kawhi was there for 42 of the 48 minutes but that's kind of a big deal and again i don't i don't know exactly what the raptors are going to look to do with this and we should also before we move on from the raptors you're laughing. I have to do this. I have to do it genuinely. We can't not talk about Kyle Lowry. Yeah. Like, he was incredible. He was absolutely incredible. His shot making was ridiculous. At a level that I haven't seen many players pull off against the books this year. At a level... I don't you don't see many, many players pull off, period. Period. <laughs> he was 7-9 from 3. Had 30 points. Easily as... His- Best playoff game of his career. He should have dislocated that finger sooner. He's finally. He he's, yeah, he said that. He said it before the game, or someone reported just before the game. He popped it out during game seven. Oh, okay. I mean, maybe it's fixed them. Yeah, the I've glove. Maybe, maybe the Kyle Lowry I've made fun of all year is gone, and this is the new Kyle Lowry. I certainly hope not, for the sake of the books in this series. Um. But, yeah, there's not a lot of fun I can make of Kyle Lowry here. I was immensely impressed by him. Um, it's just a pity he's not going to do it again. 
By the way, to your point of Kawhi, uh, he was three for 14 on contested field goals last night. And he will take them. And he was 10 of 30 or 26. Yeah, 10 of 26 overall. And only one of five from deep. Um, Yeah, it's not good. Not good. Not good at all from a Raptors perspective. Like he still has 31 points because he's 10 of 10 from the line. And he might be the most convincing free throw shooter in the league. I mean, do do any of his free throws ever touch iron? Like they're just. I don't want to see a whole lot of bounces again. He sure did, which is impressive. He had a couple that didn't quite go, but it could have. And then he had one that did. Um, I think I think Middleton deserves a lot of credit for that. If we can transition to Middleton now, because I'm guessing I wasn't really on social media during the game, but I want to guess Middleton got quite a lot of heat for this performance. Some heat. Would I be right? No more um, or less than usual is probably the answer. When yeah, <laughs> that's, that's probably the answer. Um, I thought he was really, really good. And I would actually probably go past that. And the main reason for that was, like, Brooke obviously gets the credit for what he did. Um, Middleton just made a host of colossal plays in the fourth quarter. It's unfortunate the most memorable might be Larry picking him off. But mm, the, I don't. I think the the pass to Brogdon on that. Well, that was insane. That, yeah. that pass. That's what I was getting to because there's one. He made a big shot himself. Two. He had that steal on Danny Green, which was really crucial. Um, and he also didn't make a mess of what was kind of a weirdly tricky fast Two break one, right? with Brooke Lopez, which is just <laughs> the last guy you're expecting. Like. <laughs> Chris gets the ball there and he's looking up and he's just kind of like, oh, great. I'm going to have Giannis. I'm going to have Bled here. And it's like, no, I've got Brooke. Great. Uh, so it was one of the slowest, most uncomfortable looking fast breaks ever. But he did the right thing to let it be that slow and just kind of safely get the points. And that's what they did. Um, but then he followed that up with the pass to Brogdon for the dunk. Those two things came in very quick succession. And they broke the game open for the books where from that point the Raptors runs were counters. You know, the Raptors runs were trying to bring them back into the game rather than trying to extend their lead. So adding that to his defense on Kawhi overall, I was really impressed with Middleton. I think this could be a, could be an ugly series for him in terms of his shooting numbers. Um, it won't matter if the books win in like four or five games. Because that's you'll be like, oh yeah, Middleton didn't shoot that well, but why did the Bucks win so easily? If they win easily, or if they win at all, really in this series, a big part of it's going to be they did what they have to to slow Kawhi down. And in Game One, I thought he certainly lived up to that. Um, I mean, there's other bench guys, and there's other things we could talk about. We will talk about Miritich, but will we just get the Bledsoe part of the conversation out of the way? Sure. <laughs> there was one Bledsoe play in particular where I lost my mind, not for good reasons, not like when he had his two layups in quick succession. Fourth quarter. Do either of you think you can guess which moment I'm referring to? It's like the fourth quarter. It's not the fourth quarter. Oh, well, this this is my play that I was losing. We might all have a different moment where yeah, Bledsoe... passing up a three and... no. Shoving it off to they were all they were all quite annoying. Um the fourth quarter <laughs> one, 
that Jordan is referencing is probably where they got the offensive rebound and he was one-on-one with Pascal and he just he just let the shot clock wind down. It's not even that one. It's the one nope. where he got fouled at point two left and you're like, just uh, do something here. Anyway, yeah. we'll get to that. The moment that, for me, I was just like, <sighs> what is he doing? <laughs> is the dumbest foul I have seen since the last time Bledsoe had the dumbest foul I had seen. And this oh. was the one on Danny Green where he like just kind of grabs his arm standing to the side of him and gives him three free throws. And right there. That was about two minutes remaining, I think, in the half. The books <laughs> were starting to cut into the lead again. And you're just like, what are you doing? That is, like, it's one, it's not going to stop him from... Part of fouling, right? If you're going to try and foul, part of this should be if you get away with it, you're going to stop the shot, right? You're going to put the player off enough that they're not going to have any chance of getting a, you know, kind of normal shot up, the kind of shot they could hope to make. What is like grabbing his arm, standing to the side, and then just letting him... Anyway, that was the moment where I was like, really, he's doing this again. So I'm now, I'll clear the floor for a moment, and Bodhi, you can tell me about your uh, most frustrating Bledsoe moments of game one. Mm. Ben, what, what for you? What what jumped out to you? Just, he obviously wasn't making his threes, but then he just decided to stop even shooting them all together within the flow of the offense and instead opting, like, like when he'd get a wide open, like, catch and shoot three he'd pass it up but then he'd like proceed to on the next possession or so like dribble out the clock a little bit and then try and chuck one up over you know the i guess maybe the mismatch taller defender and he'd just not even get close to the rim it was just so frustrating because obviously i think he's i don't know if it's balanced out i know at the beginning of the year he was a much better off the dribble shooter and then I think it kind of balanced out where he started making some more of his catch and shoot ones, but obviously he's way more comfortable shooting it off the dribble because he kept passing up so many open looks within the flow of the offense. And then that just messed up, you know, everybody else. And I remember Middleton had to take like a off balance shot that actually didn't beat the shop clock buzzer. It got away with it. I think that was Middleton's whole night was having yeah. to take shots like that. Like I, kind of felt sorry for him some of the shots he was having to take i mean he was doing an okay job with them as in the shots all had chances of going in you could just gloss over it and not be paying attention and say oh you know middleton was just off tonight part of it was the shots he had to take were dreadful oh yeah um do i say my moment sure i've got other bledsoe things but go with that first well the you were right like i was the it was like a one-two punch, like the Siakam one where he's like dancing around. I was like, just take him, go, go. You have like you have everything in your disposal. You can do it. My other Bledsoe then... thing. This is a good point to bring it in because I think it it ties to yours, right? Yeah. It was after he had the two layups, and one of them, Larry was backpedaling, and he just went at him, and he was past him, right? Maybe the greatest weakness on this Raptors team, if you're to look across the roster, is with the probable exception of Siakam, they have no straight line speed. No straight line running speed. They are incredibly slow. Bledsoe is one of the fastest players in the NBA. 
if you get even half a look to drive just straight at someone right into the heart of it then use your body use the obvious strength you have you go and do it so he had those two and there was one where again Kyle Lowry was just kind of out in his own. He was out on an island, floating away in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And I don't think these words have ever come out of my mouth, but I I felt like screaming them at the top of my lungs at this time. Might have had a little bit of something to do with how Kyle Lowry was playing. Expose him. Expose him. I was like, just go right at him. He cannot guard you in that situation. There are plenty of ways he can. Um, you can play into Larry's game and make him look like a really, really good defender. We talked about this and talking about Larry in the last episode. Uh, the guy's getting older, maybe not quite as mobile, maybe not in the shape he once was. And even in peak condition, he's not keeping up with Eric Bledsoe. If Eric Bledsoe wants to just run past him. Go at him. I don't understand why this isn't from the beginning. Like he opened the game taking terrible jumpers. You're like, why are we doing this again? You're not a jump shooter, Eric Bledsoe. Just drive at Kyle Lowry. Drive at anyone. Drive at Danny Green. What's Danny Green going to do? I mean, Danny Green's best chance is you get past him and then he look to block you. That's that's how he defends. But other than Siakam, like, there is no one where I'm like, that person has the speed and, you know, the strides to shut him down. So even your point with Siakam, I think, stands. I think they're kind of... They're birds of a feather, how we felt there. Uh, me, maybe a little bit more so with Kyle Lowry, because Kyle Lowry was bringing a certain kind of feeling out of me at the time. Bledsoe seemed to have figured it out. And I'm like, just do it. This is what we're all here for. This is what I paid my money for. Um, but no, he didn't. Sorry, Jordan. You you can now go back to finishing your moments. But I think the the kind of... The core sentiments of that would be the same. It's just... When you've got to look like that, just take someone off the dribble. You can you can take all of them off the dribble. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely the um, offensive board or maybe it was like pitched back over to him and he's trying to like slow it down. I think it's like three minutes left to go. And it's literally like it's like four seconds out of the shot clock and his back is turned to the hoop. Like he's doing that. I'm like, what are you doing? It does like, it all I'm the just time. like freaking out. I'm like, come on. Like, come on. Let's go. Let's go. The one where he got the free throws, which was basically, we're right at the point where it kind of sealed the game. Yeah. But he was out on the wing. Is that it? No, this is a different possession. Yeah, way later in the game. It's it's about three or four minutes later. So the one that you're thinking of, ultimately he misses the shot. Middleton gets the rebound, passes it off to Miritich. Miritich gets fouled and goes to the line. That's right, yeah. The one later in the game is... Whatever, there are rebounds involved again, I'm pretty sure. But he takes it out. The ball comes out, and he kind of just backs out. He's doing the thing he's not facing. He's not facing the right way at all. He's just kind of moseying out. He's standing, like, right in front of Bud, who I'm sure if we go back to look at this, Bud's face is, like, about to explode. Uh, There was 2.8 seconds on the clock, and he's out there on the left wing facing the wrong way. And he gets there, and he gets fouled with .2 remaining or something. You're just like... Just why do you have to make this so difficult? It's like, just this is your, it is his greatest gift as a basketball player. I genuinely mean that. It is It is the real thing, certainly on the offensive end, that can separate him from anyone else. Like, don't do all of these other things. Just be like, I'm really fast and I'm really athletic when I get past players. 
How about let's use that? We can only hope. We can only hope that we start to see more of it. Um, I guess we're nearly done. We're nearly going to the, the mailbag here. Um, will we talk a bit about Meritage? Yep. Sure. <laughs> I mentioned this a few podcasts ago. There's something not right here. I'm not feeling Meritage minutes at all. Um, I'm not saying you just stop playing Meritage. He's obviously a good player who can do good things, but there's just something that's not working when he's on the floor. And maybe part of that is he's just consistently being put out there in the wrong kind of lineups. Maybe Brogdon actually being healthy and if and when Brogdon returns to the starting five would help in that because you start to get more natural lineups rather than him being kind of forced into playing the tree. Um, he was a minus five, three or nine from the field, one of six from deep, 13 that, points. That one three though, just to... One, but like the one three was a big shot. one. There was also, he had um, multiple Ersanilisova-esque offensive rebounds, much like Brooke did, really good at that. He got to the line on some of them as well. Um, all that, though, it balanced out that incredible. I think this is just a mind-blowing stack, considering how the game went and how the flow of the game was. All but one books player finished with a positive net rating. He was the, the sole negative, and he was a minus 7.4 in 24.9 minutes. Um, if we're to take a look at the on-off numbers with Miritich off the floor, the books had a net rating across 23 minutes of 26. 26 points better per 100 possessions with Miritich off the floor. And over a decent sample, um, basically, if, if Nico wasn't on the floor, the books were just bludgeoning the Raptors in this game. So, there is a problem there. Um, something else, and I feel like I'm just, I'm, I'm bordering on becoming a walking cliche at this point. I've got all these topics that I just seem to fall into over and over again. Um, I've seen quite a few people kind of tweet about, and I, I saw a couple of articles mention the idea of Miritich on Siakam being a bit more comfortable than, say, Ursan on Siakam. That's just not true. I really, I don't think it is. Like, I think we got a good example in this game where there are a couple of possessions when Ursam was on the floor where he's just out of it. He just gets taken out by Siakam doing something really quickly, doing something athletic, blows by him, he's to the basket. There's Anti-Ursam things. <laughs> there's nothing, yeah, right. There's nothing he can do and you're just like, okay. The flip side of that is he also drew two charges and there was multiple more possessions where he was really, really solid. He was well-positioned and he basically stifled Siakam from doing anything. Probably more so than he let Siakam get the better of him in this game. I'm not getting the feeling that Miritich can do that. He did very well. He fought gallantly. He had one game in particular where his defense was great against Jalen Brown the last round. It's just, there's something not clicking here. I mean, the numbers are bearing it out. It doesn't particularly look great. But even beyond that, I have a deeper feeling that it just doesn't look hey, right to me. I got a stat for you. Come on, give me the stat. Siaka was 0 for 4 when Beeritich guarded him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Kyle Larry all over again. Checkmate. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Those stats are very noisy, Jordan. That's all I've Yep, <laughs> very noisy. <laughs> <laughs> who who was torching him then? Who was know. killing the books? Or what happened? Kyle Lowry? Kawhi? 
I think that's oh, well, pretty Jeff, much it. There, I think there's an interesting what happens then. So let's say he is holding his own in those matchups. What does him being on the floor do to the rest of the book's defense that when he's not on the floor functions perfectly if he is not losing his own individual matchup? I don't know. Neither do I, but it's just annoying me. There's something not right here. Um, I don't know what they do. I I think they should probably put Brogdon back in the starting lineup. But I also wonder if Bud will decide to do that right now after winning game one. And with Brogdon just being great off the bench and with you still winning. <laughs> this is a team. Look at all the conversations we've had. We're, what date are we at? Okay, we're past the halfway point of May. Happy anniversary of Bud. Right, this is a year today that Bud became books coach. Um, The The breakfast was going on right now as we speak, one year ago. (laughs) The books have lost one playoff game and we're more than halfway through May. One. Like, I think we'd all probably expect them to go and win game two and then like, what would you put past them doing in Toronto? You'd, you'd certainly fancy their chances of getting one. Like, this team is ridiculous. So, I wonder, does he pull the trigger on a move like that? Or does he just say, oh, let's keep doing this. This is enough. Which is kind of, I mean, it's kind of their whole vibe. And I understand it. Is, why would I play guys more than 35 minutes when we're winning with them playing 35 minutes? And that makes sense. You just... You probably shouldn't, you know, if it's working, great. But possibly for if everything goes well, what could come down the road? Might be a good idea to get Brogdon back in that starting lineup and try to get Miritich really firing in the second unit. Yeah, I I just... I I think... I agree with you. I think Brogdon should be starting. He actually played more minutes than Miritich did mm -hmm. last night anyway off the bench. So it's not really a matter of him like still coming off of injury and being worked back in. It's just kind of a mindset thing, I think, at this point. I'm not sure if Bud will actually pull the trigger, though, given how he's kind of approached it so far, with sticking with the starting group no matter what. I mean, we have been winning, so I can't really fault him for that. But I just think that the matchup in general, and then, like you said, preparing for you know possibly a finals trip, I would much rather have... Brogdon in the starting lineup there against, you know, the Golden State Warriors than I would Nikola Miritich trying to guard uh, one of those guys. I, so I, I there's think... no doubt, though, right? I think you'd agree that that's, that's the end game they're playing to here. Like, there's no way that they get to the finals, if, even if they won out this series with the lineups as they are, and Bud's like, we're sticking with Miritich in the starting lineup, Brogdon's off the bench. Like, they they are building no matter when he decides to do it. If you're planning on going to the finals and you're preparing to play the Warriors, you're going to need to play Brogdon as a starter. And he's going to need to take up most of those minutes because Miritich, uh, they have guys who will expose Miritich if he's playing on the wing. Someone like Kevin Durant might have fun with Miritich guarding him. Like, I, I, I think that's... <laughs> That's part of it too, is it's kind of inevitable. But we talked about this before as well. There is the tough thing of kind of making a an unprompted adjustment because you might actually need to make an adjustment. You might have reason to make an adjustment. 
And if you're making it now when things are going well, are you in a spot that you've won less thing? Are you going back to something then that wasn't that successful as your adjustment to that? There's, I've no doubt if, if I was a head coach, if I was bought in this situation, the amount of kind of second guessing myself, I'm sure I would do on things like that. It would be just incredible. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's a big and interesting call. Otherwise, there is something. Go ahead. Go on. I think no? there is something to making that adjustment at home while you're at home and maybe a game two, then trying it on the road too. Cause I think it's kind of more of a low pressure environment, kind of like when they brought Brogdon back in game five, of the mm. Celtics, I'd much yep. rather have him be reintroduced into the starting lineup in Milwaukee than I would on the road in Toronto and say a game three or game four, even if that's what ends up, you know, going down eventually. But I, I think I'd rather see it happen now than later. That's a good point as well, because there's also the element of that's your best team, that's your best option, you'll probably get best results with that group. Um, you should probably go with that now, because if you win game two, you're putting the Raptors right up against it, because you're going to Toronto basically with two free shots to be on the verge of sealing the series. And we have talked about, I, I don't know if it's quite a game one thing as much as it's you know first game in Toronto and the nerves and everything that comes with that. Um, if the Bucks win game two and they can get to go to Toronto with Raptors fans being like, if we lose this one, we could get swept. That's a pretty good place to be in. Um, there's not many franchises I'd rather be in that place against of taking the 2-0 lead and being like, oh yeah, if you make any mistakes here, this could be it for you. I, <laughs> the way they respond to that would be interesting. But yeah, we'll see. Um, bench otherwise much quieter than usual, which is probably, scoreless. probably a good thing for the book. So was Connaughton. Um, yep. he played dramatically reduced minutes, we should say, which was an interesting wrinkle considering he was frequently playing the most minutes, um, through the first two rounds. So that's kind of an interesting adjustment. And that Brogdon soaked up most of his minutes, but I think the bench not necessarily playing as well as they have. Again, it's kind of a good thing for the books here. Mm-hmm. It's like Middleton can play better. Bledsoe can play better. The bench can play better. Miritich can play better. So can Giannis. Like, Brogdon and Lopez were kind of on top form. Now, Brogdon could do more, obviously, with more minutes. But they're the two guys you're like, okay, they really, really played great. Maybe they won't play to that level again. If that's the case, the books still have their three best players who could possibly like play to their best. And what does that do to the series? I, I think there's a lot of reasons why Raptors fans and the Raptors team can look to and will try to take some uh, encouragement from this. I'd much prefer to be in the spot the books are. Aside from the obvious, aside from the win, where it's like, oh yeah, we won the game where our three best players all had something left in the tank as opposed to, oh, Kyle and Kawhi combined for 61 and we lost by eight. Uh, sorry. You're, um, just it's okay, Jordan. Room. You are on the podcast. You can you can say stuff. Well, I was to going back to my point of what the Raptors do from here and talk about you know making possible lineup adjustments. Sounds like Nick Nurse uh, was kind of defending maybe sticking with the plan and kind of defending where they were oh yeah oh 
I've always liked Nick. <laughs> but he got that guitar, Nick Nurse. Did you see that photo of him like getting off the plane? And he had like a guitar like strapped on his back. It doesn't surprise me in the slightest. I didn't see it, but it seems very much on brand. Um, what what was the one that he had? It's one of his faces. He was just like an uproar over something. It was like a an out of bounds call, and you're like, even Bud just wouldn't get that oh, animated yeah. about that. It's like just chill out, Nick Nurse. Doctor Feelgood, more like Nurse. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Jordan, you started that, and then you discredited it yourself. You didn't just quit on it. You were like, you made fun of your own joke. You're like, who's this guy? Um, you could say his bench unit is a motley crew, right? I don't know. Ugh. I have a Nick Nurse take, but I'm gonna hold off on it for now. Somewhere down the line, maybe <laughs> that can. I just there's something. Yeah, anyway, that's for down the line. That's what we call a tease. The books right. keep taking care of business. Maybe I can talk a little bit about that one. Um, let's move on to the mailbag, guys. Let's. The first question from at Alex underscore Koenig 023. After game one against the Celtics, I switched up my game day outfit and we are 5-0 and since. As per tradition, I haven't washed it either. When we sweep the series in the finals, do I finally get to wash my outfit or do I have to leave them forever dirty and just retire them? Um, Alex also attached a picture of what the outfit was. Of course, it was at the very core a lucky Johnny O'Brien jersey. Um, lucky charm. I don't want to encourage not washing clothes. Hygiene. It's not something I'm particularly into being like, yeah, let's wear dirty clothes. I don't think you retire it, though, because if the Bucks win the Yeah, fight, we need it again next year. Exactly. Um, no, I think... I'm not going to say wash it now in case he takes my advice and then they lose the next game. Um, we got to be careful. People take these things seriously. I, I, this is what I've learned from making fun at Rowan. When I did decide to watch game one and then I did check in on Twitter and there were already tweets waiting for me about having Rowan on the last episode, I was like... Listen, I want to say, I think I think the Bucks won in spite of Rowan going before this podcast. You are brave because... Uh, you know, I'll leave it because there's a question about him. So there's literally a question about Rowan being on and all of that happened. Anyway, um, I mean, just keep doing what you're doing. Do whatever makes you feel comfortable, Alex. It's likely not your fault if the books lose. Um, I mean, have you seen some of the fouls Eric Bledsoe's committing? <laughs> I'm not going to blame it on you if you wash your jersey and the books lose. But you're just you're happy to keep doing what you're doing. None of us are going to taste it otherwise. From more Cowbell 520, Kawhi had a very quiet fourth quarter. Did you see that as more about what Kawhi didn't do or what the Bucks did do to slow him down? Honestly, I saw his fatigue. Mm -hmm. He was missing a lot of shots short. Um, I mean, obviously, I think the Bucks were playing him about as well as they played him all game. Um I think it's just kind of cumulative fatigue from the last series going so long, going to seven games, even the emotional kind of toll that it took on them and then having to come back and play game one right after that. I think I think that was more on Nick Nurse playing him how many minutes again? Oh, 42 in a game one than it was, you know, the Bucks defending him 
much better than they already had been. There's also a problem with this when you we're talking about this specific case, right? Where they dealt with load management all season and he just never had to deal with this. Like literally never had to deal with anything remotely close to this. Obviously these minutes are inflated, but had Kawhi got like many spells where say he would have played even high thirties and minutes, say three times in six days in the regular season. I'm going to say probably not um, because they look to avoid, to avoid that stuff as much as possible. So then you get to the postseason and, Oh, he's tired. Of course he's tired. You haven't, you haven't conditioned him to be able to do this. Like it's, it's asking a lot. It's asking a lot of any player um, to play, games of this intensity when you're being you know required to do as much as Kawhi has to do on both ends of the floor at this level against the players he's doing it against and then to add to that you just kind of weren't preparing him for this all season you were just making sure he wasn't already kind of physically worse off I'm not I'm not saying what they did was wrong but I think there's they are now reaching a point where I'd find it hard to say that approach is benefiting his conditioning late in games now it's obviously important because he's healthy but it's not setting them up to be successful when he has to go this extensively yeah i, I agree i mean it, like you said it's, it applies to any any player raptors or bucks i mean the fact that Giannis is <laughs> was before this series is playing more or playing less minutes in the playoffs than he was in the regular season like if you're going to play high leverage minutes, you know, these heated moments, all this stuff, it's going to take a toll on you. And, you know, I think it was a cumulative effect of fatigue. It was obviously the game plan. It wasn't, there wasn't any kind of revelation. It was just how they were playing Kawhi to begin with throughout this, the season series too. I mean, Middleton was playing him that last Raptors game. I know Eric name was pointing out time and time again throughout the game. Um, he's playing, defending him exactly like how he was defending the last game. Same with Brockton. Like, it just all, you know, it all snowballed from there. And then, of course, like, just the fact that the Bucks were really kicking on defensively and the fact that they were just throwing bodies at him. You know, we talked about Brooke Lopez before, but a lot of those shots, I mean, Brooke Lopez and, and Giannis were getting at least a good, you know, contest on, and you have to make those angles even tougher. So, I mean, you know, I, I just thought it was – it wasn't just one thing and or – kind of, uh, you know, this kind of wrinkle here or there is to make you light up for him. And, like, in its own right, what does it what does it say about the Raptors that the Bucks were able to do a lot of what they did to Kawhi late in the season and they came out and they, you know, he wasn't able to do exactly as he wants because he saw the same looks? That's kind of weird. You know, that's, if, if I know if we were dealing on that, on this side of the equation, if the Bucks had being torched by Kawhi with one approach and came out and did the exact same thing. Uh, Bucks Twitter would be like a flaming mess right now. There would be calls for Bud to be fired. This guy doesn't make adjustments. Like This game wasn't all that different from regular season games in a lot of ways. And, and mm-hmm. that that is most interesting because of the big thing, which obviously Raptors fans kept going, oh, Marcus Gasol wasn't there. Marcus Gasol wasn't there. Like, yeah, it might have been. For well, he best. wasn't there. Um, <laughs> like it's, there's, I mean, I remember Serge Ibaka torched us from three right. a couple in a certain regular season game. I forget which one it was, but he I was. I feel like he did it twice. The win. I feel like he yeah. had two games where he 
one of them he didn't shoot the same volume, but where he was incredibly efficient with jumpers. It was the um, it was the oh. first game. He had like thirty, and but it was on like twenty one shots. Like it was like that thing where, okay, we'll let we'll be happily let them shoot those shots instead of like Kawhi or Lowry or whatever. But has Nurse forgotten that when he's playing Ibaka for seventeen minutes and Gasol is not taking any shots from inside the arc, even like. You've got to take mid-rangers. If the books are giving you mid-rangers and you're not going to get anything to paint, well, then you've got to take some mid-rangers. Gasol can hit them. He wasn't taking them. Um, like, he, does Nurse just forget that? Does he? How is he not being like, I don't Serge, think that's this Serge has done this before. I, I don't know. It's weird. Um, from more cowbell, 520. Seeing the draft lottery reminded me, are the books keeping their first-round pick this year or is it finally going to the Suns? Um, the books will pick Turkey at overall in the first round of the 2019 NBA draft. Next year is likely when that Suns pick will finally convey. From uh, Wesley Bill, should Brogdon be moved into the starting lineup tomorrow? I think we're all probably in agreement that he should, right? Mm-hmm. Um, will he is maybe the more pressing question, but yeah, he probably should. He's playing... <laughs> he's playing what is close to starter minutes for the books in the playoffs for most other teams. I mean, it would be light relief. If he was playing for Nick nurse, he wouldn't be anywhere near the minutes totals. He'd need to start, but on the books, he's almost all the way there already from at MK Robert. Will the Raptors play a better game this series than they did in game one? What do you think? Kyle Lowry certainly won't have a better game than he did. in game one. <laughs> I think even not as a joke. And look, I'm all for joking about Kyle Lowry. I think that's that's 100% true. I think that's the fact of it. I think the Raptors might have a better game. I don't think they'll get a better combined game from Lowry and Kawhi in terms of the points they get out of that duo. Yeah, Pascal Siakam could have a better game. Like He had a pretty rough night, actually. 6-20 from the field, 15 points. But, those other guys don't have a better game, they're getting swept. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm, I'm torn. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm I obviously agree. You're not gonna get a better Kyle Lowry game. I mean, that's literally his best game playoff game of his career. Kawhi, I don't I mean but what, get, so let's it, say Kawhi goes. Easier. Kawhi goes for forty-one. Let's let's say right if he did. Yeah, but um, what, how many shots? Like thirty. Let's say he does it relatively efficiently. <laughs> yeah. Chances of getting twenty points out of Kyle Lowry on that same night are slim. Yeah. Like that's I I think with the two of them combined, you're in a spot where it's kind of like. I don't know. I don't think you can get more out of those two, and they are probably your one-two punch of this series. I, I think the Raptors as a t- team will have one game which is better than this. They, they didn't play all that well in a lot of ways. Um, but I, I think in some of the most important ways, like they got as much as they could want. Like I think mm-hmm. you can say the Raptors didn't play well, but if you also if you fail to kind of mention the fact uh Larry had the best game he may ever have between now and the rest of his career. And that did go to waste. Like that's you're kind of looking past a major part of this because what you would have dreamed of as someone from a Raptors perspective is Larry having a game like that. And for that to happen and for you to lose, 
that is really crushing. I. How did he manage to have a 96.6 offensive rating with the night he had shooting the ball? Yeah, that, that was the thing. A lot of those shots just like kind of saved what was an awful shooting night and just kind of a – everybody was looking at the Bucks, you know. Look how inefficient every other night. Raptor was. Like, how can he really have better than that in the end? I mean, mm-hmm. And again, he played 40 minutes, so – I mean, it papered it, over a lot of the Raptors' own offensive uh, struggles. Yeah. Yeah. And Andy Green didn't have a great night shooting. He's been weirdly kind of absent throughout the whole playoffs, too. He was kind of. Yeah. And after having a really great season overall, that's kind of bad timing. Um, from an OG Jeezy, this is what I get for all the Kyle Larry slander. I'll just want to make clear the I in this case is OG Jeezy, not me. It's not me. I'm just relaying the message. Do you think inserting a buck in the starting lineup over Gasol will happen soon? Uh, judging by the minutes, no, but it's what I would be doing if I was the Raptors coach. <sighs> Do you I take think... out Gasol completely then? He's on your mm. bench, yeah. But no, I'm saying like not just I'm not talking about the act of like putting him in the starting lineup. I'm saying confidence wise, and we already know like no, he's kind I don't of a... uh, if if he's gonna have a strop about it, well you're not you're not winning the series or you're not winning the finals anyway. If if Marcus All mm-hmm. is gonna in the middle of the conference finals, you're gonna say we need to put you on the bench, we want you to try and find something when other guys rest, and he's gonna have a tantrum about that, well then you made the wrong trade and you can forget about having any chance to begin with. Well they There's did no that with a Sorry. <laughs> I don't I don't think he is Jabari Parker. I think you're well they, they did that with a certain face of the franchise and little did they know they would trade him. Mm. The Raptors? Mm. Yeah, didn't they bench Damar mid game or something? Demar? Like that? They benched bench Damar mid game for, for, like for like a for like a fourth quarter or uh final match of a game. Uh, I do Maybe. remember something. He wasn't benched, like benched, benched. That's true. Yeah, that's a big difference. Come on, Jordan. It's not being, it's not being crazy here. Um, we don't want to snark us all around here. Okay? Snark us all. I'm glad you gave your own joke the biggest laugh. That's the main Thank thing. You. Um, you've, got, you've nothing to thank me for. Trust me. From an MK Robert. <laughs> Toronto had four guys play 40 or more minutes. This series is every other day. For as long as it lasts. That's true. I was confused reading it, but that is true. <laughs> Do you see that continuing? Do the Raps have any choice? I mean, they have the choice of playing Eric Moreland, right? Jeremy Lin? Malcolm Miller? Is his name is Malcolm? Jeremy Lin hurt? I, no, I, don't, know if he's hurt I don't think he is hurt. They catch Jeremy on the bench. Like, he seems like an able body. No, I think he's healthy since game Jody Meeks? three. Played a little on the Sixers. Jody Meeks revenge game. I mean, Jody Meeks has got to be upset. He could have been on the winning team. That's their secret weapon, maybe. I mean, what's the harm in trying? I, he <laughs> he might as he's probably got as good a chance of hitting shots than Fred Van Vliet. Um, so why not? But no, I don't think he's a whole lot of choice. The names we've gone through there. The fact that I have to confirm, I'm like. His name is Malcolm Miller, right? I mean, that says Those something. Cash considerations for Moose, sleeper agent. 
Mike Miller coming out of retirement. I can't believe. <laughs> is his name? No one's confirmed. Do either of you know for sure if his yeah, name is Malcolm Miller? Yeah. It is. The fact that I have to. This is a conference finals, and there's a guy on a roster where I have to be like, is that really oh. his name? There must, there's only like four or five guys in the NBA where that would happen to me. I don't know. It's not great. Um, you could do a take Lehman. He's the number. It's <laughs> getting weird. It's getting weird, is right, Jordan. From an MK Robert, which player had a more unsustainable performance, Larry or Brooke? Both. Well, you ain't fine. Um, answer this. Um, this is a very difficult question for me to answer. I go on both. I generally struggle to go one way or another. Like what Larry did was so unsustainable as well. It was equally unsustainable. Well, you, I don't think you're going to see him going seven of nine from a three again. I do think you could see Brooke. See, Brooke shoot, you could see Brooke shoot better. As the, like, he, Brooke didn't even shoot well. That's yeah. true. Yeah, you I know mean, what? He was, eight or 10, he was eight of ten from inside the arc. I'm going for it. Brooke More was. unsustainable performance is Kyle Lowry. Poking <laughs> oh. the bear again. <laughs> He's gonna keep taking the ball. Kawhi's not gonna get to touch it. Poking the the be true and four. Um, from uh, and books. He's not Canadian. Um, the wives looking. I would expect a Canadian like you to know about that. I always assumed Giannis would start getting forty plus minutes in these late playoff series. Only thirty seven last night in a close game. Will it ever happen? Why? Why are you hoping for that? Will anyone make it happen? <laughs> oh, like at this point, do we know that the Warriors would force Giannis into playing more than thirty-seven minutes? We really don't. And I think Bud's instinct will be to not do that. And I think it's no. actually pretty smart. Um, they yeah. did though. He fresh, fresher than anyone else in the playoffs to do it. Yeah, that's a big Kawhi Leonard load management oh he's good to go and then you're playing 42 minutes and you're like oh he's gassed why are they i i do i think there is an element of that when you kind of get into those games but you're right he's not at least carrying the the load already that a lot of the others would be um from at divine underscore 24 couldn't figure out who i was more relieved for rowan or adam have your opinions of Mr. 2016 MVP consideration changed post game? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> what, Jordan? What's what's wrong? Nothing. What do you what, 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 do, what do you think? I think it, is that a question directed towards you? Uh, it is, but uh, you just seem to be having a reaction there. And I was curious as to what your thoughts were. Was that in the question? That was not in the question. That was. <laughs> Do you need me to send you the tweet? That's the exact oh. question. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, you sorry. Your reaction was to the your part of it. Sorry, I didn't even pick up. On oh, um, <laughs> couldn't figure out who you were more relieved for. I mean, my opinions haven't changed at all. Oh my god, they haven't. <laughs> my opinions will change if he does that for multiple more games in the series. I will bow down to Kyle Lowry. I will salute Kyle his Bowery. greatness. Um, 
the fact we're talking about, you know, just how incredible it was that the guy gets paid thirty million dollars had a thirty point game, you know, that says something in its own right. I mean, Raptors fans, and I'm not. This is I'm not looking to <sighs> the bear. I don't care about the bear. I'm I'm not looking to rub salt in oh. anyone's wounds here, right? The Raptor. <laughs> They were all very much like this is the best game he's ever played and ever will play. If that's yeah, the case, what ever, does that say? Do not waste the, the Kyle Lowry game. Do not what waste if, the Kyle. What if the books like the, Middleton has had better games than this? Multiple. You could put them out there anytime against the Celtics, and you'll likely have a better game than this. Like, I don't. I don't get it. He's. If he keeps doing it again, I will. I will say I was wrong. Kyle Lowry was right. The Raptors lost in five, but you know that wouldn't matter. It would be that Kyle Lowry is you know good enough to get them to a conference finals to lose like that. Um, but to be genuine here, no, I'm not really seeing enough. If he keeps doing that, I will tip my hat. But there's no reason to believe he's going to right now, and that will be the gamble the books will make with this. Larry's just listening to this podcast and Adam montage pregame, listening to uh, pumping himself up. Rocky put it, three, put it up on some speakers in the locker room. <laughs> Nick Nurse, I've got something for you in a couple of episodes if you play your cards right. They're gonna have you up on the uh, jumbotron in Toronto, just like Paul Pierce. I'm happy to be bulletin board material. I'm not saying the series is over. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Um, Jordan, I mean. We do need to probably get some sort of acknowledgement on this question from you, though. Does this, does this reaffirm your belief that he should have been MVP in 2016? You know, when you're young, and you, you know... You... We need to get on to our friends at Hoops Habit to find out just how many people went and read that piece this week. Uh... From what Andrew Trump won... I think fatigue and minutes were a huge factor in the fourth for the Raptors, especially Kawhi. How do you see that continuing to play out over the series with only one day rest in between games? I think it's huge, and the Raptors should consider punting game two if a lead is big. You can punt anything in the conference finals. Um, got to fight for every scrap if you've got half a chance. You've got to, particularly, I mean, they're going to need to win a game in Milwaukee. Yep. Like, that's very simple. Want to win the series, got to win one in Milwaukee. So game two is they're out of half their opportunities if they don't convert in game two. Got to really go at that. Um, don't think any of us would disagree with Andrew's points on fatigue and minutes being a huge factor in the fourth. The one day rest is going to be interesting. I think it's really going to play into the book's hands because it's going to give them the kind of rhythm they like. While the Raptors might start to feel the effects of what went before. Um, I really like the book's chances for when this series turns to Toronto now, because I think by the time we get to game three and four, the kind of reads Giannis will have on their defense and on the individual defenders and the rhythm he will be in at that point, it spells major, major trouble for the Raptors. I feel a lot better about where this series is going to go once it gets to Toronto than I did before game one. From a DB Sweeney underscore 2016, should we feel lucky to have come out on top with the poor shooting game in game one or feel confident that we still won the game despite the shooting? 
Confident. Confident. No, not confident. Toronto confident. Yeah, that's. You know who could it? They could use him. <laughs> they could. They should have. They, they should have made a move. Toronto Town could have really that. That's the revenge series he needed to find himself in. Not that first round one. Um. <laughs> although, what am I saying? Come on, if Tom was out there, there's no problems. Um. I think that look, the answer has to be a bit of both here, but I don't feel like it was unlucky for the Raptors. Like they didn't win the game. I, I honestly, in basketball, do you think you can be unlucky when you lose a game? Like, you lost a game. <laughs> it's played over 48 minutes and a lot of possessions. It's not like just one freak moment here or there is purely, like, you can, look can go the other way. Like, Kawhi obviously got a few nice rolls that down the Sixers. I don't know if you can lose by eight points and be unlucky, though. Or on the other side, the books feel like they were lucky to win by eight points. Well, they were there the whole way, and then they went and pulled away. It's Compared to a lot of other sports, I feel like the sheer volume of possessions means you can play well and lose, but you're not necessarily unlucky. You've lost. No. Yeah. Anything, I think this is just deflating for Toronto, having the Kyle Lowry game end in a loss in game mm-hmm. one. I don't know if you did. Either of you watch the uh, post game presser? I didn't watch any. Didn't watch any Raptors post game pressers. I don't know. I mean, I don't watch Kyle Lowry's post games typically, but his body language just looked deflated after. I don't think his body language is generally good, though. No, from past experience, um, he's had some great quotes from the last time the Bucks played the Raptors. When just, you know, it got a little bit noisy and Kyle Lowry... I, look, I'm not. I need to leave Kyle Lowry alone. Um, but I wouldn't say his strength is positive body language and kind of upbeat tone after a loss generally. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, most of these guys are very competitive and don't like losing. And that was a painful loss to have to go in and sit and ask questions about. Particularly when he played just as well as he did. Um, so... Yeah, I don't I don't know. Um from Mr. Bones nineteen ninety-seven. Sorry, this was a reply to another question, but he was making the point that he doesn't think Larry will have another game or the Raptors will have another game like that because Larry won't step up, which yeah, we all agree on too. From my cowboy space, do you like Malcolm staying on the bench so we can make the Raptors pay every time Fred Van Vliet comes in? Makes no if difference. You're, if you're if we're worried about Fred Van Vliet coming in. I mean, what is going on here? Who, who's not going to make Fred Van Vliet play? Pay, I should yeah. say. Um, also, with the way things are trending, I mean, Van Vliet played 13 minutes. What's he going to do in 13 minutes? And Nurse's response is likely going to be, uh-oh, I see three minuses on the bench. Time for less bench minutes. I've, I'm very curious to see what he does because... I'm not seeing obvious paths to success with adjustments. Um, from at Cowboy Space, can we address how Kyle Lowry is the most dominant playoff scorer of all time and completely immune to any jinxes? Listen, Kyle Lowry is listening, so if he wants to come on and speak to that, he's welcome to any time. Lastly, from David's on 21, 
Can Adam use his powers for good and slander Chris Middleton instead of Kyle Lowry? Um, Chris Middleton doesn't need it. Chris Middleton had a really good game. I I eagerly await an angry message from David Dunn 21 when he hears that I said Chris Middleton had a good game in this one. But, you know, he, he had a good game. Um, look past Look past those shooting numbers and think of who won by how many points. Look at his plus minus. Look at Kawhi's inefficiency. Um, look at those key plays he made in the fourth quarter. He had a good game. I don't need to say anything about Chris Middleton. Other than Chris Middleton is an upright and noble man who is also very good at basketball. Yeah. That's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> game two. Our body confidence of Bucks wins in this series being two zip heading to Toronto. 100%. 100%. Jordan, you're going to go 100% as well? Bucks win by 14. 14. That's not that honest, crazy. You're, you're both <laughs> making me uncomfortable. I, I don't think it's crazy, but just 100% and Jordan Tresky saying Bucks win by 14. Uh, this has got me on the ropes a little bit. Um, Double digit team, baby. Baby. <laughs> The Bucks will win. I I fully expect the Bucks to win. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what else happens. See exactly. We'll go back to that Lucid Lounge game. They could two, win by. Shaq I mean, they could win by thirty-five. Scoot. I don't know, but I'm not. I'm not getting into numbers predictions. I do think they will find a way to come out on top. That's what we learned in game one. Is a lot went wrong, and yeah, the Bucks are still good enough to just be like, yeah, I think we'll win this game. I'm, I think I'm looking for game two is. I miss that Bango trash talk, the uh, the Barney. Oh reference. yeah. Did that happen for game one? I don't nope. think so. I didn't see any. I mean, no. obviously we weren't at the actual Pfizer forum. But... I don't know if it's necessary though. Is it? It's a different. Yeah, I mean, we're the yeah we're the front runner. Exactly. It's kind we're of like the punchy upstart. What, the what embryonic. Kind of song, what kind of song it's... about deer are the Raptors gonna have for when the books Let's go? Play the. I guess. Mm. Land Before Time? That was the Land Before... <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Supposed to be like Bambi's Lament or something from the Bambi score, right? Maybe. Sounds like yeah. it should be something. Anyway, that definitely seems like we've, you know, this, this whole thing has run its course. <laughs> Until the next time. Make sure you subscribe to Snapple Podcast, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher, favorites and tune in radio, follow us on Spotify to ensure that you don't miss any episodes of Winning Six throughout the playoffs and beyond. You can also read mine, Jordan, Ben, and the rest of the team Behind the Book Pass's writing, opinions, all sorts of stuff on the books on BehindTheBookPass.com. As always, thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. And thank you, Ben. You're you've, you're now two for two on following wins. You're safe to come back. I think, yeah, I think the Bucks won in spite of Rohan and because I was scheduled for the first <laughs> You're not leaving that one alone. All right. Thanks for We're going to call Win Rauman. <laughs> Thanks for listening.